0: Thanksgiving dinner fellowship meal right after church and you're all welcome even if you didn't bring anything bring an appetite if you didn't have an appetite or you're fasting still come over and just hang out with brothers and sisters and give a word of encouragement but you need to give more than a word of encouragement this meal is not free there's a cost to it And the way you settle your bill with the establishment is there's a thank you card, a little maple leaf that says thanks, and we want you to write in there something you're thankful about. And we're going to pick some of those. Probably I'll have Pastor because he has a a good, strong voice, and he doesn't put his foot in his mouth like I do. He doesn't put his foot in my mouth either, but that's good. But yeah thank you Um, but we want to have some public reading of things you're thankful for and there's baskets on the table and I'll probably ask my good helper down here to help collect the baskets but come over enjoy fellowship there's a lot of food there's there's just a, a good time so come over for that Mark on your calendars and there'll be more information about an open house at the Layton's on December 18th in the evening. And you can look in the bulletin for the rest of the announcements. But everybody, one last announcement, everybody needs one of these sheets. Raise your hand if you don't have a sheet. Okay. Got that over there? Okay. We'll, we'll be struggling reading this later on when we welcome the Kenemers to our fellowship.
1: Amen. Thanks, Andy. As we prepare to pray, let me mention also that on Wednesday, we'll have a special Zoom meeting this week, uh, and it'll start right at 7 o'clock. We'll have the elders all say a blessing and a, uh, and a prayer of blessing, thanksgiving, and praise to God. We'll begin right at 7 We'll be reading Psalm 100, and I'm going to read it for you this morning as I close it, the prayer. I'll finish with this Psalm 100, and I'll read it for you. We'll be explaining it briefly. So it'll go 7 to 7.30 max, Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving. I hope you can join us. If you don't have the link, Andy can help you with that. Let's go ahead and go then to the Lord in prayer, and I want to give you a moment to prepare your heart to worship Christ confess sin to ask for an illumination of your heart by the very Word of God as we sing it as we read it as we explain it prepare your heart to hear from Christ today I'll give you a moment then I'll pray for us corporately and then I'll read Psalm 100 and we'll be, then begin as Blake will lead us in our first hymn 636 come ye thankful people come let's go to the lord in prayer you first and then i'll pray for us publicly let's pray Father, we have truly gathered together today. I pray from the bottom of our hearts that we'd indeed be thankful, thankful for first and foremost for who you are, a God of creation who created all things and sustains all things by the word of your power. We're thankful, most importantly, that you have sent Christ to die for our sin, to redeem us from the wages that we would otherwise owe christ paid it all and we among the your people who know this truth should redound in great praise to you i pray our hearts would be truly thankful truly praiseworthy of all that you are and all that you have done we're thankful that you have brought us in to your fellowship made us one with the beloved father we can't imagine the uh, the degree to which that uh uh, really means but to the but to uh, the aspect that we can understand it i pray father that it will bring about great joy to your people a heart a deep-seated joy that will overflow into the life regardless of whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in today or tomorrow a certain degree of peace as well the peace of christ knowing that he holds all things together and uh, us to truly trust this great aspect of being loved oh if not by anyone certainly by you beyond our imagination the love of god in christ jesus i pray father that indeed that would be made known to your people in increasing ways May our time here in this temporal life that you have given to us may it redound to praise to the glory of who you are. May we be truly your people, grounded in the truth that you have given to us in Christ Jesus. And I, we do pray for those that are outside of Christ, perhaps even some among us today, or that may hear our uh, this voice beyond Uh, today, uh, perhaps those that might be fellowshipping around a, a traditional table this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving, I pray that you will call many sons and daughters to the glory of your grace, that they might be in true fellowship with you and have blessings beyond their imagination, the inheritance that is laid up for the saints. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, from Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come, come into his presence singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Join us as Blake comes to lead 636 in your hymn book stand and sing, Come Ye Thankful. right with what we'll be talking about in just a bit about the very kingdom of God. This morning we do want to recognize our newest members and thank you for allowing us to put you up here and make a spectacle of you and so forth. I appreciate that. Actually I just want you up here to help me read this covenant because I'm going to mess this up and so you know misery loves comfort so that's what you're here for. This is the Canamores um, and we have Paul, Addie and Bailey and it's good to have you guys with us. They were baptized this last Sunday evening. Their confession is what, guys? Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord indeed. I can't think of a better time that I really have as a pastor than have the opportunity to Listen to your explanation of what that means to you, that Jesus indeed is Lord, and hear your testimony of faith in him. It is so encouraging, and it's such a reminder of that great truth. And, and uh, we really appreciate it. If you weren't able to join us, uh, we we do have it on video. It's not quite as good as in, in, uh, in the event, the dynamics in and of itself, but nevertheless... Uh, we do uh, appreciate that testimony. It, 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 was, uh, it was thrilling to do. And what the church does, one way you come, of course, to the membership in the church is to go through uh, uh, a class with, uh, with us to discuss the nature of the church and, and what we teach and these kinds of things, uh, but also uh, a time in which you explain your personal salvation. And when you have given your heart to Christ and then been obedient in believer's baptism, which simply represents being buried, of course, with Christ and then raised to walk in newness of life. What we do with this church covenant, we're asking you guys to read it along with us. Even if you're not a member, you can still follow along. This is what we attempt to do. This is written out here in a formal way to say that we want to be more than just an organization that gathers together and provides some sort of perfunctory religious activity. We really mean this, that we are truly one with Christ. And because you are one with Christ, you are closer to us and to me in particular as well than some of my blood relatives, if you will. We understand our relationships biologically with one another And even our covenant of marriage in this, but this is all temporal in this life. The union that we have with Christ is eternal. It'll go on forever and ever. And I know it may take some time for us to feel this way towards one another, but you, truly are brother and sisters to us. And to the degree that you need us to help you, please, please call on us as family to do that. And likewise, we may be calling on you. (laughs) God has given each of us gifts uniquely to serve in the time that he has called us and in the place. And as that unfolds in your life, it'll be evident in various ways. Be assured, we'll continue to pray for you, and we ask for you to pray for us as we grow in grace and knowledge of Christ together. And as we read this, then, and the elders will join us as well, uh, we will make this expression one to another in our commitment and covenant together and I will try to help lead the reading of our covenant and then I'll close in prayer for us. So let's read this together. Having as we trust been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him and having been baptized upon our profession of faith. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on His gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, Remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation
2: to lead a new and holy life.
1: We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrine we will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations.
2: We will, if we move in this place as soon as possible,
1: unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of the God's word.
2: May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy
1: Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for these that have been brought into our fellowship to serve Christ together. I pray that the gifting that you have given Paul, Addie, and Bailey will be something to which uh, you will indeed use to exalt your name, not just this day, but forevermore may christ's name be glorified i pray specifically may our union together and our fellowship may we work truly together to support one another but most importantly to exalt christ and to see many 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 more confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god it is in christ's name we pray amen god bless each one of you gift, party parting gift, and I do have a certificate for you for which I'll have to We normally give a book on doctrine, but they already have it and they've already read it, so Remember, I, yeah. I think you selected Thank that, I think yeah. you selected this, and you didn't select anything, Paul, so I have this for you. God oh, bless Thank you. You. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. <laughs>
3: Amen. Well, let's take our hymns and stand once more and turn to number 637 and we'll sing, We Gather Together. Psalm 67.1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us. Look on us with favor. 637. We gather together.
4: Church I'm going to ask you to turn to two passages this morning the first is Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 5 you can find that on page 575 of the pew Bible if you'd like to follow along there leave a marker after you found it and then Turn to Psalm 82, which you can find on page 492 of the Pew Bible. If you don't take some time to carefully study this psalm, Psalm 82, you, like me at first, could get confused. First... When you see the word gods with a little g in this psalm, it is referring to human beings. This is verified by our Lord in John chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. These human beings are representative of world leaders. Now, when I first read this psalm, I thought that some of these verses were the psalmist blaming God for injustices, but I was wrong. Verses 2 through 7 are actually God calling these human world leaders to account for their unjust leadership. This psalm concludes in verse 8 with the psalmist crying out to God to judge the nations himself because the psalmist knows that Yahweh will judge with perfect justice. After this, our pastor has led us to read Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 5 which tells us how yahweh will do this through the son jesus christ let's read psalm 82 a psalm of asaph god has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment he says how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Now let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Starting in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins let us pray holy father thank you for sending your son who will rule the nations with perfect justice please help us to look to him And no other for deliverance from injustice please help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to deal justly with everyone we come into contact with help us to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves thank you father that though we live in a sin-cursed world with death all around us you are still so faithful in pouring out abundant blessing and goodness Father, thank you for some encouraging news to remind us this week that truth and reason have not been completely abolished on the earth. Father, I pray that you would use these offerings gathered today to further your kingdom. I pray that you would help your children to be encouraged at the fact of your coming kingdom, your eternal kingdom that will never fade away. I pray that this would spur us on to love and good works. Please help us in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: amber matthew 5 5 through 8 reads blessed are the gentle because they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled blessed are the merciful because they shall be shown mercy and blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God let's stand together turn to 578 and sing rejoice ye pure in heart <clears throat>
1: us to rejoice in Christ, and I do pray that you will have great joy in him, and looking forward to his kingdom coming. We're in John chapter 18, focusing on verse 33 through 40, and I must somewhat feel apologetic in returning to this theme but it's a big theme, Christ's kingdom. And we could preach on this in a month of Sundays and still not get through half of it. But I promise I'll finish at some point. (laughs) But I appreciate you allowing me to return again to this theme and particularly we'll look at the unfolding or the progression of the kingdom. One other aspect that I haven't had time to explore with you as much as I like to do this today. Our key verse that we're focusing on is from verse 36, when Jesus describes his kingdom specifically in a negative way and saying, it is not of this world. Thus far as we've been looking in context here, Jesus has been through this Jewish court He has been declared by that court as being guilty, guilty of claiming to be God incarnate, of being the Messiah. It's a claim that is true. It is a claim that has been authenticated by the facts. But in many cases, facts don't matter when people already have their own mind made up. His works absolutely authenticated and demonstrated what he said was true. By the way, no one could ever find a single false thing he said. They tried, but they couldn't. If you remember the early part of John, we referred to this more than once, and it needs to ring true in our mind again and again, Nicodemus, a ruler of these very Jews who said that he is guilty of blasphemy, affirms on behalf of all of the Jewish court when he says, we, in John chapter 3, we know that you are a teacher come from God. He's not just speaking on his own behalf, but on the behalf of all of the people, including those very Jews who are in authority. We know it. Of course they know it. And he states why, because no one can do these very signs unless God was with him. Now, you have heard about and seen people claim to do miracles in our day. They're nothing like what Christ actually did. Christ actually did them, performed them. They saw them. They saw the lame actually get up and walk. They saw the blind see. They saw deaf who could really then all of a sudden hear. They saw a man that was in the decay raised from the dead and have his body restored. This is the miracle. This is a sign they use the term here. No one can do this unless God is with him. And yet they turn around and reject him. Jesus explains truly, truly, most assuredly, amen and amen. Unless one is born again, born from above, have a spiritual regeneration in their heart, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus. At this point, I do think he does come to faith, but at this point, he can't see it, and Jesus is telling them. And the rest who declare Jesus as a blasphemer for claiming what is factually true can't see it either. The Jews misunderstood what was going on, and they misunderstood the nature of the kingdom. Jesus does teach and explain. He explains to them that this kingdom is not entered into through some sort of heritage, through some sort of religious activity or rite that you engage in. This has to be a entrance out of this world, if you will, because it is not of this world. The great Manipulation that anyone might make will fail because the facts are there. It isn't a matter of just weighing the facts. What has to occur is faith, and this is something you cannot manufacture from the flesh. It is granted by God, it is a spiritual faith faith which is a response to regeneration. The Jews at this point in history had a vast amount of teaching on this topic that is the kingdom of God. The phrase really, as I mentioned before, you're not going to find that actual phrase in the Old Testament, but it isn't that you couldn't derive it from that. But they wrote a lot about it, we, what you call the intertestamental period, that is the period from Malachi to Matthew, about 400 years. You may not be that familiar with it, but if you uh, somewhat, if you've heard of the Apocrypha or the Pseudepigraphal or, or other writings from that period of time, they are of good value because it does tell us what people were thinking at that time. They're not inspired scriptures. But they are writings from that period of time. And in those writings, you're going to find a lot of information concerning the kingdom of God. They didn't understand it. They thought that they were in it. And they were just looking for it to unfold and usher them in, and as some of the songs that we sang, if you noticed in it, and some of the scriptures that we read, that the nations, those outside of the kingdom, would be destroyed, and that they would be rescued. They misunderstood what was actually going on, because they weren't even in the kingdom. They thought they were. So Jesus naturally then would teach about the kingdom. There's a door There's an entrance, there's a gate, it is through a person, it is through Jesus Christ. He is, as he said, the door, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Gentiles, represented here really by Pilate and others certainly in the crowd, they didn't understand this kingdom theology either. Pilate, having Jesus brought before him, accused by the Jews as an insurrectionist, a king, they didn't bother bringing up the blasphemy charge because Pilate would have dismissed it, so they thought that they would try the king and kingdom charge. Accuse him of that, if you will. But Jesus explains his kingdom, which is verse 36, it's not of this world. Pilate understands that he's not an insurrectionist trying to take over Rome. So therefore, he declares him not guilty. But what Pilate fails to do is to recognize what Jesus was saying about the kingdom. What the... Jews did was also fail to understand what Jesus was saying about the kingdom. Unbelief, ignorance, doesn't change any of the facts or any of the truth. It doesn't change anything about who Jesus is. He is king and his, the nature of his kingdom and what he is doing. Let's unpack that a little bit just in the unfolding of the kingdom, but we'll read it in context of this confrontation Jesus has with Pilate when he briefly explains some of the aspects and we'll look to his teaching found in the Gospels to fill in some of the gaps here in our mind. Beginning in verse 33. So Pilate hears from the Jews that Jesus is some sort of king setting up a kingdom. So he enters his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say that of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? He's trying to get to the point, What do you mean by what you're saying? See, the Jews didn't know what Christ was saying. Neither did the Gentiles. So he asks them to examine his own question. Pilate doesn't like that. And he responds here, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus explains that my kingdom, verse 36, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. He's affirming that. And then for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after this, he, after he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover, so you want me to release the king of the Jews? They cried out again. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a rock. Let us pray. Father, I do pray that you would give us wisdom and insight into your word. May it impact us in the way that each of us needs to hear indeed from Christ this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. (coughs) What is truth? That question it is Christ. It is a description of all that he is, his kingdom, his sphere of authority. It is truth, and he says in verse 37 that he is coming into this world to then bear witness of it. The confirmation, as we mentioned, were those signs. They demonstrated it and proved that indeed he is a witness of the truth his kingdom is contrasted to the spheres of authority and power and kingdoms if you will of this world this world system this world system any system that is set up and i've mentioned this before we're all into fixing the system but you won't fix the system by installing another broken system I agree, some systems might be less broken than others in comparison, but they're all broken in the sense that they are systemically sinful. That's the problem. So in that sense, they're all liars. They're all cheats and thieves. And so you install certain aspects in governmental systems, for example, to help minimize some of the abuse, but you won't get rid of all of it. It is corrupt all of it, by sin. Our thinking is affected by sinful thinking as well. Tear everyone down and you still have a problem because it is from this world and of this world. This world which is cursed in that respect. Christ has to come into this world to bring the truth into it. Reformation is good externally, but it is secondarily. What is primary is an internal regeneration. That's what Christ was calling for to repent, to believe. Christ proclaims his kingdom in an unfolding way, if you will, starting out as he taught in the parables, as something very small, but something that will expand, and it is for all men, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There is, an un, there is a progression of this, however, and it is, it is moving forward even in this day. It is through this proclamation of who Christ is that his kingdom will advance. And it is essential for everyone, even this day, to understand the need for repentance because, as Christ said, the kingdom is at hand. That's what he went about preaching. Bearing witness to the truth. A kingdom that is characterized, as I've mentioned before, by, at the very least, truth, light, and life. In contrasted to a kingdom of falseness, if you will, error, darkness, death. Christ then calls people to repent, to live, to see the light, if you will to flee death and come to life. That is what his proclamation is and his promise, and this is what we continue in this day. We call all men to repent and to believe. We preach Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of that which corrupts everything, sin. His kingdom, as he mentioned, and I mentioned just a bit of review, it is not of and it is not from this world and this system. The kingdom that Christ is about, that he proclaimed, is a kingdom that does two things as some of our texts that we've read even today and some of the hymns have put together if you paid attention to them. His kingdom, as it comes into fruition, is going to bring about judgment to those that are in rebellion to the king. It'll bring about salvation to those who seek refuge in the king. The Jews were right in anticipating this ultimate purpose, if you will, about the king and the kingdom. His throne will be established in righteousness. And he will subdue the nations in rebellion. He will gather the citizens of his kingdom. As I mentioned, what they erred in was simply that they thought they were in it, as many do. As Jesus would say in Matthew 7, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, that's a term of sovereign king. Haven't we done all these things? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. I often tell people, here's the deal, it's not so much do you know Christ, does he know you? That's the question. It is a necessary question, and it's a necessary answer. Is he indeed Lord? Lord. This fulfillment of his kingdom is, as I mentioned, progressive in nature, unfolding, if you will. The disclosure of it is in Scripture. In the writings, in the stories, parables, if you will, that Jesus gave, He mentions to his disciples, it is for you to know the mystery of the kingdom. Mystery is something that's not revealed before in that sense. But to those that are outside the kingdom, it isn't for them. It hasn't been given. As he would say here before Pilate in our text, what? Those that are of the truth, or we can... Parallel that to kingdom, those that are of the kingdom, they hear it. They have ears to hear, eyes to see. No wonder they respond in faith, because they have been spiritually made alive. Here's how Paul would close this great epistle to the church at Rome. Romans 16, 25, I'll just read it for you. Just just hear these words. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul did. He looks that the strength would come from Christ. He's proclaiming. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is what we do. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will bring about obedience of faith. Not our manipulation, not our entertainment, not our enterprise, but Christ and Christ alone. It is through the illumination, if you will, of the Spirit that they will see the significance of this truth. And that's something I can't make happen. I wish I could. But it hasn't been given to me to do that. That is the power of the Spirit. What has been given to me is just to preach Christ, to share the gospel. This kingdom then has a progression to it and unfolding that they didn't quite understand, and many don't today. I would say perhaps even most. Let's look at a few texts. Here's Jesus' text to talk about the unfolding of the kingdom, Luke chapter 17, if you want to turn to it. Luke chapter 17, and I'll just pick up in verse 20. The kingdom of God, as it unfolds, then categorically, if you want to think about it, there's really two aspects to it, two phases, if you want to think about it. The first is a spiritual aspect must be that way. second aspect is an actual physical aspect as well. it'll be both immaterial and material. The Jews thought about this material aspect but they missed the spiritual aspect totally. when Christ returns physically, we call it his second coming now that this mystery, this previously unknown, you know, to the degree that has now been made known in Scripture, it is clear that there will be two parts of his coming, if you will. We call it his Christmas time, his first coming, and then we're looking for what now? His return, the second coming. It wasn't categorized that way in the Old Testament. They were conflated together, understandably. But now in time we can see as this has been unfolding, revealed to us by Christ and the apostles, that Jesus will physically come. That is what we await. Revelation 20 talks about a recreation of the world in which Jesus is king and he will reign forever and ever. So, he's not looking for this kingdom and just a little reformation of it. His kingdom is of a different nature. Notice Luke 17. Here he's asked by these Pharisees, these rulers of the Jews, same type of people. He had been dialoguing with them. This is where they got the idea to tell Pilate he thinks he's a king because they talked to him about it. This is one of the records of this, of this type of confrontation. In verse 20 of Luke 17, the Pharisees ask him when the kingdom of God would come. So then he explains to them something about the kingdom of God. It is not coming in ways that can be observed. Not initially, not in this first stage, nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, some of your translations might say, within you. And, of course, it wouldn't have been within those Pharisees. I think, it's, I think this translation is a little bit better idea of the, of the context of it. In the midst, that is, right before you. Who is right before them now? The king. And wherever the king is, there is his kingdom. Something has to come first. What is coming? It is a spiritual aspect to it. That is, there must be a redemption of people that will be in the kingdom. Otherwise, no one's going to be in it. They're all outside the kingdom. They're all in the kingdom of darkness at this point. When the kingdom comes, it must first come in Salvation to save a people that can enter into this kingdom. There must be a spiritual transformation or regeneration or making alive those that are part of the lie, the darkness, death, and bring them to truth, to bring them to light, to bring them to light and life. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. So here they're standing, Colossians chapter 1. We'll look at verse 12. So here they are standing right before that very king and his kingdom, and they can't see it. Because the default position for all men, by the way, is the kingdom of darkness. Yeah, even those very Jews... Even Nicodemus, who his righteousness would be so much far superior than anyone in this room, I assure you. He would be thought of as very highly, very moral, very religious, very devout. I don't think any of us could hold a candle to him. And yet Jesus looks him square in the eye and says, you're not in the kingdom. Because it's going to take more than whatever you do. It's going to take a supernatural work of God's grace to, and here's the words I want you to see in Colossians, to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul's looking at the church at Colossae, and he says that he gives thanks to the Father for these people. Because God the Father has done this. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice how these terms, I didn't pick them arbitrarily. These are used a lot by the prophets. They're used a lot by the apostles and by Christ. What a great analogy for us to hold on to concretely of a spiritual um, engagement. He has, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and then transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Hang on to that verse. Spend some time. You want a a good devotional exercise? Just grab one of these and meditate on that all day. The term qualified, he qualified us. MacArthur comments and on this particular Greek word, translated qualified, and says it means to make sufficient, to empower, or to authorize. That is, God qualifies us only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Apart from God's grace through Jesus Christ, All people would be qualified only to receive wrath. That's critical to know. They're already in the kingdom of darkness. If the king comes and brings the kingdom of light, no one's going to be in it unless he does something first, and that is he has to transfer us from the darkness to the light. That's what's going on right now. That's the kingdom that is in the midst when Christ comes. It's right before them. He is, it is this gospel then that transfers one to the other in a spiritual sense right now. God enables us then to live in this kingdom under the domain and authority of Christ and truly confess him as Lord right now. It's demonstrated then by our submission to Jesus Christ. It isn't our submission that's going to bring about this transfer. It has got to be God's work to qualify, God's work to empower, to authorize. Yes, that's in the kingdom that you're in now, but you're going in that one. And then how is that ever demonstrated in this life? (coughs) Guess what? You have a new disposition in life. You want to live for Christ. Let me tell you this. And I don't want to put a guilt trip in you. But if you don't want to live for Christ, if you don't love for Christ, you're not in his kingdom. You're not going to get in his kingdom by trying to do all this harder. You can't do it. This isn't like quitting cigarettes or stop doing something you don't want to do. Or start doing something, some exercise program. It's not like that at all. This is a dynamic, unique thing where God actually changed the disposition of your heart and you have different desires. Oh, you still are strapped with the, what remains of unredeemed humanity in this life that continually wants to drag you back in the ditch. But if, if you're alive, you're going to keep trying to get out of the ditch by the power of the Spirit you will see some success along the way. You're in that Colossians. just look how he begins. (coughs) He describes this response to this qualification, this transfer from darkness to light, by describing the very character of these people that are in Christ in Colossae. He said, well, we thank God for you, verse 3, We pray for you because we've heard of your faith that is in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all saints. Because you believe in Christ, you trust in Christ, and then it's demonstrated in your love for one another, the saints, that is, the body of Christ. And why does this work out? Because of the hope, then, you have laid up for you in heaven. This hope you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, it's come to you as indeed in the whole world, and it is bearing fruit and increasing. That is, <clears throat> there, is a, there is something that it does in your life. We would call this the fruit of the Spirit. It is the work of God in your heart that brings about These spiritual virtues. And it isn't something that is static, but that is increasing. Granted, there will be some that are more fruitful than others, but you will see something, and it progresses in your life, increasing. That's what it's talking about. Ever since the day you've heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And he gives an example here of Epaphras, their beloved servant, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he then is the one who's made known to Paul. How this love is out working through what? The Spirit. And that's a capital S. That is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from the day we heard about all of this, that is their coming to faith, it's demonstrated in their life, we haven't ceased to pray for you asking that you may be then filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, these are all the results of a spiritual transformation. This is not what manufactures it. It is what comes from it. That's the idea of fruit. An apple tree bears apples because it's an apple tree. It bears apples because it's a live apple tree. It is the result of it. And, verse 11, being strengthened with all power. That is, this is the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. According to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. This is phase one, if you will, of the kingdom. It is an outworking of the kingdom right now. It is the transformation of lives internally, that is, believers' lives in a spiritual sense. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is right now, it is in your midst. And we pray for his kingdom to come. For his will to be done. On earth, that is in this world and this world system, as it is in heaven. This is what we pray for. Right now and at this time in what we would call the first coming of Christ. We're about to celebrate in just a short time, Christmas, if you will. His coming is to establish this kingdom, in the truth, in the lives of the believers, and it'll be demonstrated in this earth in the transformation of the believers, those that are in Christ, strengthened by his power in a spiritual sense. But his kingdom is not just coming in a spiritual sense. It must come in a spiritual sense for there to be anyone to enter the kingdom. But beyond that, there is a second aspect, and that is a physical aspect. This is the not yet. The now is the transformation of individuals' lives. The not yet, and then what is coming for this hope that they're looking forward to in the future is an actual physical reign with Christ. Now, I know there's much, and I'll... See to what degree we'll talk about the eschatological effects. I think it's plain in Scripture how this is going to work out. But even if you have slightly different views on how all of this is going to pan out, there are some key things that must be assured, and that is, there will be an actual physical return of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going away and I'm going to return. In like manner, he will reign on the earth, this earth. He will reign in absolute truth, in absolute righteousness, in absolute justice, with virtue. He will reign in full expression of his glory. And when that takes place, which is not yet, and you know why it's not yet? Because there's going to be some eschatological house cleaning that has to happen. For an absolute, true, pure God to reign, he's not going to reign and allow any unrighteousness there. It will be dispelled. The glory of Christ as he ministered here on earth was said to be veiled. Veiled in flesh, incarnate deity we sing. There were glimpses of it. We call it the transfiguration of Christ when he displayed a little bit of his glory and they knocked him over like they were a dead man. There will be no darkness when the full light of Christ is on display, you understand. There will be no error when the fullness of his truth. There will be no injustice, injustice, should I say, when his full justice comes forward. And so then, what is here doesn't need to just be tweaked a little, transformed to some degree, reformed. No, it needs to be completely redone. Just like the heart of man, which needs to be completely redone through a spiritual transformation, there will be a physical transformation if you want to know the end of age. In fact, don't take my word for it. Let's go to somebody that was with the Lord who Jesus told, and he shared it with us. His name is Peter. You remember him, Apostle? Second Peter chapter 3. He describes the future of this coming king and what the earth will be like in his wake. 2 Peter 3, <clears throat> he describes it as the day of the Lord. That is the day of the sovereign king. This is a terminology used a lot in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord. Verse 10, 2 Peter three ten. This day of the Lord will come like a thief. That is, it's quick and unexpected. What it would it be like? The heavens will then pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. <coughs> no wonder if his kingdom is not of this world, right? This is going to be destroyed. That's what he's saying. Since then all these things are to be, Dissolve, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening this coming of the day of God, because of which of the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heaven and earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what you want. You don't want to just clean a little mold off that is still, is going to come back. You're going to tear it out, tear it out, and replace it with something true and something right. We're called to be, don't misunderstand me, we're called to be good stewards of this planet, but we're not going to be saved by it, and we won't save it for anybody. It's going to burn. The big green deal is not going to work or whatever else you put up because there's a big red one coming off. On. It's a fireball. Okay. It doesn't mean that we aren't as we are given our task here to do the best we can, but we don't find our hope and salvation in this temporal world. And it always intrigues me a bit when folks carry on about, and, and I've heard it my entire life. It's always been something different, if you will. It was, we were going to have too many people. So you had population explosions when I was young, a big deal about that. And, and, and by the way, I went up, I, was, I lived in DC at the time. This was in the seventies. And I went up in a, in a small aircraft around D.C., and you know what the thing amazed me so much was how many trees there actually are and how much wide open space, and I'm like, these people back then were really crying about, oh, we just don't have any land at all. We're overpopulated, and I'm like, okay. uh, I don't see any houses for miles and miles, and I live close to a big city, but anyway, I digress. The uh, th- this this world is going to be destroyed and we won't be saved by it. They'll come up with an idea, oh, well, the second thing, uh, we're gonna freeze to death. Well, then it started getting warmer and we're gonna get really hot and, and everybody's gonna die that way. And now it's just, there's weather out there. They call it the climate. All right. But you know the positive thing I say about that is at least they understand that there is a temporal aspect to the world in which we live. Most people think it's eternal. It's not. There's one who is eternal, that's Christ. Do you want to be saved? Do you want a rescue plan? Look to Christ. That's the only place you're going to find refuge. The psalmist would tell us, remember, kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. This is looking forward to the destruction that is indeed to come. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. The way, and I preach through Revelation, I'll probably maybe preach through it again. I don't know if I'll live that long to do it. But anyway, it's a great book. You're blessed to read it. The problem is a lot of folks misunderstand it. But nevertheless, as it unfolds here, chapter 19 is the coming king. This is what we're looking for where we call the second coming. Where Jesus, the sovereign king, is coming, and what's going to happen next, he's coming physically. And the his throne will be then established forever. If you drop down to verse 11 in chapter 19, it's described this way. By John, who gets a vision, prophetic vision, of what the future is going to be like. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. By the way, this is contrasted to where we're at in John, where Jesus comes into Jerusalem, how? On a donkey, on, the, on a baby donkey, if you will, All right? A colt, a fold. A young one, the most, not just a donkey, which would have been a symbol of peace when a king comes into an area, but, but, but even the weakest among to demonstrate here, right now is salvation. But when he comes again, this second aspect of the kingdom, of a physical reality of coming, it's described how on a horse of great power and triumph, this white horse has this imagery of this beautiful, majestic power. That is the imagery put forth here. A white horse. He's coming in judgment. Remember, the Jews were right. He's going to judge the nations and to gather in his own citizens these citizens have to be made if you will in this first incarnation and now when he comes judgment that's all that's coming and refuge to those that are in him (coughs) he says, the one sitting on it is called you've heard this before faithful and true do you know him And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. That would be crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. This is the blood of judgment. And the name by which he is called, you want to know what it is? The word of God. I wonder john began his gospel in the beginning was the word right well here it is the very word of god the armies of heaven reigned in fine living, white and pure were following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of god almighty And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. So what is that name? It is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ is the Sovereign King. He is it right now. But he's bidding you in great meekness to come and confess him as Lord. He he will be coming again as surely as he came the first time. He's coming again and he's coming in great judgment and the warning is take refuge in him and him alone. Anyone outside of him will fall by just simple word of his mouth. He will reign. Chapter 20 is about that reign of Christ. We call it the millennial kingdom. Yes, he will literally reign for a thousand years. And those that are in Christ will reign with him. Chapter 20, it says, <laughs> He saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom he gave authority. To judge was committed. He saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. I'm in verse 4. That for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast through his image and not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life, that is, they were resurrected, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 6, he talks about this blessed first resurrection, over such the second death has no power, and those then that are in his kingdom will be considered priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him a thousand years. Exactly what does that reign look like? That's not unfolded to us to a great degree, but the idea not, is not that you're going to be a big shot in the kingdom. It's that you'll be so united with Christ, whatever he is about and doing, so are you. That, that's the imagery. That you are in union with Christ. That's what it's looking forward to. What, what What will the final end of his kingdom be? That's in chapter 21. And I want you to see that. This Peter said the whole earth is going to be burned up and destroyed. It is the king that is coming in a physical way and he's going to destroy all the world's systems. He's going to physically destroy the heaven and earth and make a new one. And here's what it looks like in verse one of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. It was gone. It was burnt up. And so what does he replace it with? Something brand new. Well, what does it look like? He says that he saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You've been at a wedding and seen the beauty of a bride and that whole celebration. You know what part of that is for? Is simply to communicate the beauty of God with man. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. and They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is a world in that you couldn't imagine. This is the world that everyone wants, but they can't build it. You can't build your Tower of Babel and get there. You can't create some sort of artificial way to reconcile everything else. It's going to take a, first, a spiritual transformation of the heart and the reality of Christ coming and actually accomplishing that. What will it look like? Well, it's described in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, or crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Life would be good if we didn't have a lot of tears, mourning, death, darkness, disease, pain. The solution, the resolution to all of it, is the king, and he's coming. The question is, are you in his kingdom? If you want to be, just confess him as Lord. How does that work? I don't know. Just a matter of the heart. It's a true heart expression. Christ will not turn away everybody. You say, well, I've done that a thousand times or whatever, and it doesn't seem to stick. Jesus says, if you come to me, I will not turn you away. So my plea is to simply come to Christ. And for those of us who are in union with Christ, the call is simply this. I hope you've gotten a better picture of his kingdom, both now and not yet. And I would just encourage you to, the degree that you can, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else is just going to work out just fine. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the King, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for these great truths that are beyond our imagination, but I pray by your Spirit, strengthened, illuminated, that we would have this knowledge of this grace and truth is in Christ. I pray right now, do not allow anyone to hear this word and fall on stony ground or ground that would grow up with weeds. I pray this would fall on good soil and bring a harvest of great righteousness in the life of your people manyfold. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, take a moment now and pray privately where you're at. Respond to Christ in the way he has spoken to you. Take a moment now. be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I want to sing crowned with many crowns. What number is that? 304. You guys want to do that too? Let's stand together. 304. Crown him with many crowns. Do the first and the last.
5: To the degree that we don't even give that a second thought. We have so much, Lord, and it's all because of you, Lord, and it could be gone in a moment. And, Father, we give you praise and glory for it. Now, Father, we pray that you would bless as we go to our fellowship and uh, partake of the food that's been provided that that you have given us and and the fellowship that we have around the table. And we give you praise and glory for it. And now may the Lord give you life according to his steadfast love, and hope in his salvation forever. Amen and amen. Here are dismissed.